Hello, welcome to Central Valley Physicians Podcast. My name is Nicole Butler, and I'm the Executive Director of Fresno Madera Medical Society. And today we have Dr. Race Vora back again to talk to us about um, his uh, the Poison Control Center. He's actually the Medical Director of the California Poison Control in the Fresno Madera Division, and he's also an emergency room doctor for Community Regional Medical Center. So, welcome back. Thank you so much. Thanks Glad for coming back. I, I use your last talk about the spiders and snakes um, a lot, and it's actually one of our more popular podcasts. Thank so, you. Yeah, That's great. So I think it's really interesting. So I'm excited that you're back. And, okay. And uh, I'm actually really excited to talk about this topic just because you never really hear about it. It's kind of until you need it. Um, exactly. Yeah. So tell me a little bit um, about your uh, your role as the, the medical director of the Poison Control Center, because it's not a full-time job, right? You're not there you know, like eight, nine to five, like most people would work. Um, it kind of is for me, um, but I am also an emergency physician, so I kind of wear both hats. And really, poison control um, has grown out as an extension of the specialties of pediatrics as well as emergency medicine, uh, because those are the populations that we tend to serve most. Um, most of the calls that we get at our hotline are um, in kids. Um, kids that are under age six are the ones that are going to be exploring their environment and just eating things that um, that they don't know are bad for them. And so parents are calling us about advice about, you know, what to do whenever their toddler uh, ingests something or gets something on their skin or in their eye. And so that's a big part of what we do. Another big part of what we do is advising uh, doctors, pharmacists, and nurses that are taking care of poisoned patients uh, who are so sick that they can't be watched at home, and so we actually refer them into the emergency department. So whenever that happens, we get called from our pre-hospital colleagues uh, out in the ambulances. Uh, sometimes law enforcement will actually give us a call and just want to have some advice about how to manage um, those kinds of incidents involving drugs or chemicals. And then, of course, emergency doctors, emergency physicians, nurses, critical care specialists. Um, those are the cases that are more complex uh, and have more acuity to them. Uh, uh, and, and we also advise about how to manage those poisonings as well. So it's kind of a, a spectrum. Um, I feel like we interface with almost every specialty just because there are poisons that can affect um, every organ system. Mm -hmm. So there's poisons that can affect the heart, the brain, the kidneys. And so we have to kind of I interact with a lot of different kinds of specialties um, and all age groups as well. So it, it keeps me very busy and very engaged. Um, and I'm and I'm super happy to be the medical director at the Poison Center. So how does it work? I mean, you know, it's not rolling over into your cell phone, I'm guessing. You have, is there a call center? And, there and it's is. Here, there's right? a 1-800 there's hotline. Okay. So this is what callers will probably want to know. There's a 1-800 hotline that works wherever you are in the U.S. and the territories. So, um, no matter where you are in the 50 states, you can use this 1-800 number. It's 1-800-222-1222. And you can find that online. Hopefully, you'll feature it on your on your site as well. Um, we actually are telling parents to program this into their phone because in that moment of panic, you may not know. You, obviously, you're not going to remember that number. No one remembers phone numbers anymore. And it may be actually hard to Google it at the time that you're just kind of panicked and frantic. And so it's better just to have it programmed into your phone. And we do a lot of education to parents about preventing and how to keep their, their home safe. But once they do make that call, then it routes them to their nearest regional poison center. And so there's actually 55 poison centers that are all over the United United States and California has four of them and the four that are in California are located in San Diego, Sacramento, San Francisco and in Madera which is the Central Valley the Fresno Madera division. So when you look at a map of California that's where the four centers are located 
there's one very large metropolitan center in the U.S. that actually doesn't have its own poison control center, and that's Los Angeles. So we're actually the poison center for Los Angeles, located in little old Madera at the Valley Children's <laughs> Hospital, and we're covering all of L.A. County as well as all of the agricultural counties that are north of Los Angeles. And so it's a very broad spectrum of things that we get called about, you know, all the kind of all the Hollywood headlines that you see about drug overdoses and celebrities getting overdosed and things like that. They're called Madera. They're basically calling Madera. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic. How um, we get no claim to all fame those, on that at all. Those all. Rave, all those rave drugs that you hear about, you know, yeah. all these new drugs hitting the streets in Los Angeles. Those are all getting called to us first and foremost. And so I feel like we're at the epicenter of, you know, really the drug, all, a lot of drug issues that are happening in California. And that's kind of why, you, you know, I'm thrilled to be, um, to be in the position that I am. The, all four centers in our state actually work as one. So whenever you call from a California phone line, you're going to get one of our four California centers, but you may not know which one is going to answer just because it's, it's, a, it's a common kind of you know, phone tree that's set up. If you're calling from New Jersey, but you happen to have a California phone line, you're going to get us. If you're living in California, but you have a New Jersey area code, you're, you're going to get New Jersey. Huh. And so it's kind of interesting that that's how it's set up. And um, so all across the country, the poison centers have to be coordinated. And it's actually a very well-coordinated system. And you're absolutely right. Most people don't even think about it until they need it. And then it's, it's pretty neat to find out about how it works. So who's answering the calls when someone comes in, when someone calls in? We, um, they're actually called spies, specialists in poisoning information. And so that's, that's <laughs> the word spy. Um, mm. They're pharmacists. Some of them are nurses. And they've had extra training in um, managing poisonings and drug overdoses. And who boy, they're good. They just listen to the phone. That's all they do. They can't look at the patient. They're just hearing mom or dad call, and they can figure out so much just based on what they're hearing over the phone, just a very few bits of information that the parent is relaying to them. Often the bottle is not available, so they have to do a lot of detective work. Mm -hmm. You know, where was the child found? Okay, the child was in the garage. What kind of uh, automotive products do you guys usually use? You know, was the child at grandma's? Okay, what's grandma's medical situation? Could she possibly be on any heart medications? Right, right. So they have to do a lot of detective work over the phone, and they figure a lot out. I'm very humbled by what our pharmacists do each and every day because they really do get to the bottom of the facts. And then they also have access to a lot of databases that the ordinary person or even the ordinary clinician doesn't have access to or time to access. And they're just sitting there uh, answering these calls time after time after time, and they get really good at answering all the common ones. And whenever something is much more complicated, they actually have access to a lot of databases that they that they can look things up mm -hmm. uh, in real time and answer people's questions. So do they act similar to like, so if somebody calls and they have questions and the pharmacist or the nurse on the other end is asking a bunch of questions, and the pharmacist or the person taking the call knows that, hey, they need an ambulance. Can they can they dispatch an ambulance at that time? We or? don't dispatch ambulances ourselves um, because the EMS dispatch center does that. Okay. Uh, so we actually tell them if the person's not breathing or uh, responding to you, go ahead and hang up and call 911 because that's really the best best thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. And 911, again, works a little bit differently. We're not totally integrated. But if you're in New Jersey and you call 911, then the New Jersey 911 knows exactly where you are. Right. Whereas if you're in New Jersey and you have a California area code, then the California phone line is going to pick you up for the poison center. So we're not totally integrated. We're going to get there someday, but we're not totally integrated in terms of the geolocalization. 
But um, from a practical purpose, we just tell them to call 911 themselves. If they really can't, then we do get involved. And sometimes we actually have to call the law enforcement as well if it's something that you know requires their services as well. Mm-hmm. So we do often um, involve other agencies, but it's pretty rare. I mean, most of the time when people are calling us, um, it's about something that is um, – uh, a new discovery of an overdose or the person is relatively stable and we feel like we can go ahead and um, and manage it over the phone okay. while the person's still over the phone. It's very rare that we have to say, you know, hang up and call 911, but we will go ahead and make that call whenever we need to. Okay. Wow, that's fascinating. I would never have thought that the Poison Control Center was staffed with such, um, you know, high level of experienced they are, yeah. They have you to know, be certified. They have yeah. to take a special test uh, and be certified in poisoning information. And they have to do continuing education in poisoning management. And, you know, we we just tend to be natural academics uh, when we do toxicology. So we're always doing literature searches. We're always looking things up, um, you know, interacting with our colleagues at the national level and at the local level just to find out, you know, how we can serve um, the community and and the professional community better. And so we're always learning. We're always on a learning curve and always learning about new things as well. Let's talk about some of the calls that you get because now I'm fascinated. Now I'm thinking, you know, I have I have a five-year-old and I have an eight-month-old and they, uh, my two youngest at least, um, and the five-year-old, I mean, she knows the difference between yes and no, but the, the eight-month-old is starting to crawl around. She's picking up things on the ground, no telling what she puts in her mouth. So what are some of the kind of the calls that you get and – you know, at what points it should should someone really be? Oh wow, really nervous. Kids mostly get into what they find at home, uh, and that includes personal care products, uh, things that you find under the kitchen sink, like cleaning products, um, medicines, medications. Um, I think most of us are pretty good about locking away medications and keeping prescriptions out of kids' reach. Uh, but things like over-the-counter medications. Or if they're visiting um, another household, um, they may be able to get into something if it wasn't um, stored properly or if they're not aware of, you, you know, where things are, are kept in a different environment, like, you know, you know, grandparents' houses, things like that. Um, kids are, you know, they're always playing with toys and toys sometimes have small parts. So that's why you always see those warnings. But unfortunately, it still happens all the time, whether it's a plastic toy, which actually, as long as it doesn't go down the airway and causes an airway emergency, that's pretty benign. Uh, we do worry about whenever um, kids swallow uh, batteries. So the, right, the little yeah. button batteries, the disc shaped batteries, those are actually considered an emergency. And so we would actually, uh, you know, advise that um, the, the parent take the child in to get uh, checked out if they've um, if, if a button battery is involved. And then things that you just find around the garage and the yard, like plants, different garage chemicals, household chemicals, um, you know, ornamental berries and things like that um, uh, that you find around the house. So things that you commonly find around the house are the most common things that kids are getting into. And and like I said, most of those ingestions tend to be benign, but there are kind of hidden dangers in there that, that require a little bit more attention um, and a little bit more um, either observation or even going into the emergency department. And those are the calls that we really are very careful to, you know, tell the parent that this is a, a little bit more dangerous than your average ingestion. And this needs more attention. That's going to be a tough call for any parent to make when you don't know. And then, um, you know, I calling the poison control and, and, you know, just that, that either just knowing, I think when you don't know something, it's either, okay, well, your, your child's going to be fine. We just have to wait this out. Or, you know what, we're going to recommend you going to, you know, the local, the quick, the, you know, the most nearest emergency room. That's what people tell us all the time. I mean, our typical call is like a frantic parent, 
who's panicking. They don't have any answers. They might have done a quick Google search, and that actually makes things worse because there's <laughs> so much information, and you can't process it, and you're not in that right frame of mind to actually look for the valuable information that you find online. And so they're just overwhelmed, and, and they're just seeing red. And then they call us, and they hear a calm voice that has expertise exactly. that's listening to them, mm-hmm. and that's going to give them good advice. No matter how serious the situation is, I mean, we're not going to minimize what's going to happen, but you, at least you know that you can trust our advice. And, that, you know, I always say information is not the same thing as insight. You can get a lot of information on the Internet, but mm-hmm. to really get insight, to really get the experience and, and, and a human connection, then I think you really, you know, that, that phone call becomes much more valuable. And people really are very grateful for our service whenever they use it. Yeah, I, mean, I think just having the ability when you're concerned like that to pick up the phone and speak to a clinician or a pharmacist. I mean, that's, that's the thing I thought, you know, when I think call center, I'm thinking, ah, oh, it's call center. If it's an emergency, they'll get a physician yeah, on the line it, and make it's a It's not your average it. call center. I yeah. mean, we do, we watch our, our metrics quite closely. We make sure that each call is answered within 90 seconds. And if they don't know the answer, then um, they're going to kick it up the chain. They're going to ask someone else that that's working at the center, or they're just going to call me if I'm not in the office and, um, and I'm on call for the poison center at any time so they can always call me as their medical backup and then you know I'll get involved and I'll try to help us with whatever I can that's it's amazing well I'm glad that that service is, is available let's talk a little bit about safety um, and what parents can do because you know y- you try and be as safe as possible but you have to go you know you have to live life like cleaning products go underneath the sink I mean they just that's the place for them yes um, you know what, what are some of the things that we should be doing that, that would keep kids um, prevent them for, from that, swallowing or ingesting something that they should That's shouldn't. a great question. So we, we, we spend a lot of time thinking of prevention tips um, for parents. And, um, and we actually just have, you know, basic advice that um, as a parent, you know that, you know, kids will just outsmart whatever you, whatever you figure out, whatever, whatever um, system you have in place to keep them away from hazards, which as parents, we all want to do that. Um, kids will figure that out and then, and then kind of, you know, start, start, start trying to out outwit that system. Mm-hmm. And so toddler proofing or child proofing is not just something that you do once right before you have the baby. It's something that you have to keep doing as they develop. You have to develop yes. a different system. And so you just have to watch them and say, okay, what are their abilities now? Now they can climb a chair. So now I have to put things at a higher place or even put it in a locked up cabinet. Um, okay. Now they can open the cabinet. So now I have to make sure that it's locked, et cetera, et cetera. So you really have to gauge your toddler proofing system according to your child's developmental stage. Um, and you're going to know to your toddler better than anybody. I mean, I, you know, my five-year-old now, I think when she was two, she figured out how to get the plastic things out of the, the, um, the outlets. And right. I'm like, well, how, right. you're how fixing you, that. So you just have to teach. Yeah. You know, they're, no, they're you like, can't. Um, they're, they're like those little velociraptors in yes. Jurassic Park. They just keep yeah. mutating yeah. and they just keep Smart outsmarting. Smart little devils. Life will find a way. <laughs> yeah. and, they, and they do. Children will find a way too. Um, so we just say, you know, keep medicines, keep your personal care products, your cleaning products, just keep them out of reach up high and behind a locked cabinet so that they can't even see it. So because, you know, a lot of personal care products and a lot of cleaning products are made to look attractive. They're pretty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they look like juice. They look like candy. That's why kids are eating those uh, laundry pods because yeah. they look very attractive. They have bright colors. They're shiny. They look like they would taste good. So naturally, a child is going to gravitate towards trying to taste it. 
And so you just can't even tempt them by leaving them out in a way that they can see them. You just have to keep them hidden away from them um, and keep them, even if it's under the sink, you can get those little uh, locks for the right, sink right. that you can kind of use. And that's what we use at our home with our children. And, and those seem to work pretty well. Uh, knock on wood. Yeah. Sometimes you can't get into them yourself. So you know your kids can't get into them. Exactly. Another thing that most parents don't um, really appreciate is the importance of keeping the liquid chemicals in their original containers and really keeping all chemicals in their original containers. So a lot of us like to recycle. Mm -hmm. You know, some of us think that we're being um, good whenever we try to recycle, like say old beverage bottles or Gatorade bottles and using those to store chemicals uh, because we're like, oh, otherwise this would go in the trash. Let me just use this to store my automotive chemical or something like that. We see that done all the time. And unfortunately that leads to a lot of problems because then someone else can come along if it looks attractive, like a juice or a Gatorade, they're going to start drinking it. Even if it looks like water, they're going to, they might start taking a sip mm-hmm. from it. And then you get into trouble with a chemical injury. And you don't, you don't have the label. The, yeah, you, you don't, don't know, know what, what it is. is. Yeah. And so this could be months down the line and you don't remember what it is or what the concentration is. And so people call us from the poison, you know, at the poison center uh, with these chemicals that have been kept in uh, unmarked containers. And, and it becomes a real challenge for us to try to figure out exactly what's going on because we don't have that label available. So please don't do that. Please keep the products in their original containers. That's another tip that we try to, you know, just tell everyone. Um, obviously, don't leave children unattended. Um, that's that that kind of um, is uh, is intuitive. Uh, and lastly, keep our keep our number handy. You know, program that number into your phone, and then just call us if you have any questions. No question is too minor. We get minor questions all the time, but you we really want to be called whenever you think that there's something serious going on because you know chances are that gut instinct that parents have mm-hmm. sometimes it leads to you know the right thing being done so yeah. don't hesitate if if something doesn't feel right and you just need that extra piece of advice or you need that extra help as a parent we totally understand and it's a free there's, service too there's no judgment yeah it's it's totally confidential um we operate under HIPAA so we're covered by HIPAA if you know what that is and um, it's toll free. And we speak every language too. We have a language line. So if, if you think that you need to speak English to use this line, you really don't. We have a hundred different language translators that we can access and patch them through. And so we're able to just translate into any language as well. Man, the Poison Control Center is legit. It's pretty all, fun. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a pretty cool system. And, you know, we're, we contact, people contact us from all over the state all the time. And that really um, is fulfilling for me, you know, mm-hmm. in my job is to think that this, this place that's, you know, very graciously um, supported by the Valley Children's Hospital uh, and is a project of the UCSF School of Pharmacy brings together all these pharmacists, all these MDs together into this project that is helping so many people all over the state. Uh, It's really fun. It's really a a great, a great position for me. Let's talk, let's go back to the, you mentioned the, the uh, laundry detergent, those little pods. Mm -hmm. And I know that there was uh, a craze or a phase that people like grown teenagers were eating them. Yes. What, I mean, what is, what is, I, I can't even fathom putting that in my mouth, but. I, I, I wish I knew um, how to decode the teenage mind. I'm yeah. not going to. You, you, would, you, would, you would be a very rich man if I don't you could. Know, <laughs> I don't know exactly why that became such a hit, um, but it did. You know, I think it was just a combination of people have cell phones that can take videos. Right. This is a very silly thing to be doing. It's kind of dangerous. So, it, you know, gives you some street cred if you're an adolescent. Um, but it is very unsafe. And, and I really hope that um, the teenagers have stopped doing it 
fortunately, we've we've really stopped getting calls about it or hearing about it. So I think it did go yeah. away. It's like a fad that I think did go away. I think as soon as it went, you know, public into the news, it was no longer, you know, viral yes, for exactly. kids to do it, which right. is good. Exactly, I guess right. That's one yeah. thing the news is doing. And, and there's, <laughs> there's other challenges that kids come up with all the time. Um, there was one called the cinnamon challenge. Yes, I remember where they that. would eat oh. a spoonful of cinnamon powder, I don't and that like just <laughs> people started choking, and then they would get into their lungs and have a bad reaction in their lungs. So um, we saw that for a little while. Um, there's other there's other challenges that come up. The thing with these laundry pods um, and and uh, these other other products like them, they make them for d- detergent. Um, they make them for dishwashing detergent right, as well. Right. So there's there's several different kinds of pods out there, and the whole point of them is that they melt when they when they hit water. And so whatever chemical there is inside them has to have no water at all, uh, or else the film will melt. And so the companies are forced to concentrate them really really greatly. Um, and so you have ultra concentrated chemicals, uh, that have no water whatsoever. And as soon as they mix with the water in our body tissues, they start to set up a lot of different kinds of damage. And you, we, we see skin burns, we see eye burns, but most catastrophically, we're seeing a lot of burns in the intestines yeah. and the stomach and the esophagus. And so, yeah, we, you know, we're forced to send kids into the emergency department. And sometimes those kids end up getting admitted to the ICU, uh, or going to get a, a GI procedure, uh, so that the GI doctor can take a look and see how bad the burn is. You know, these are all kinds of things that really didn't used to happen with conventional soaps and now is, you know, more common than ever with these newer laundry detergent, um, yeah, pods and things like that. So the American Academy of Pediatrics and other, um, and other national agencies have actually come out saying, if you're a parent of a young child, don't even bring them home. Yeah. You know, just, that's the best step is just don't even bring them home. That will actually curb this problem quite a bit. If you are going to be using them, then follow all of the advice that we just shared, which is, you know, keep them out of sight. Keep them locked up if at all possible. Um, and uh, Don't let your and, teenagers have them. And don't let you <laughs> – make them do the laundry. Do the yeah, laundry challenge. Yeah, there you go. Don't do the laundry pod challenge. Do the laundry instead. It just that makes no sense to me. But, <laughs> but anyways, so can you share some of the, the calls or the m- more common sure. things that you get? Sure, um, yeah. Be um, fascinating. The more common things are um, – so, you know, all of, all of the under five items that, that, we, um, that we talked about, we keep really good statistics at a nationwide level and at the state level. And so, you, you know, I, I could go down the list of, you know, what is the most common um, type of chemical or substance that kids are getting into, and that includes, again, things that you would find at home, cleaning substances, over-the-counter pain medications – foreign bodies, including those button batteries, as well as other toys, uh, topical creams and preparations, vitamins, uh, antihistamines, um, different dietary uh, supplements. You know, those are very commonly used. Um, and so those are always around and people may not see them as medication, you know, dietary pills and vitamins. People not, may not understand that these two can be, um, can be toxic if too much is ingested mm-hmm. and people don't really treat them the way that they treat prescription medications sometimes uh, with that level of, um, of safety precaution. Um, different antibiotics, um, you know, arts and craft supplies, uh, just because those can be colorful. Sometimes they can look like candy or something tasteful. Um, different, uh, cleaning agents like deodorizers and essential oils, 
Um, and then we also do get those prescription medications just because those are commonly available. And whenever they aren't uh, kept safe away from children, uh, children can get into things like antidepressants and sedatives and, um, and even alcohols, you know, whether that's edible alcohol or something that the alcohol is coming in, like nail polish or something else. Um, and the alcohol can, can go on to cause problems in small children. Uh, the newest hazard that um, we're still just trying to uh, get our minds around is uh, with the legalization of cannabis. Um, you know, that is coming yeah. in a lot of different forms now. Yeah. Uh, so that can look like uh, gummy bears. It can look like cake and pastries and cereal. And, and they're using cannabis oil to make these different cannabis products. So it's not just things that you smoke or edible, um, you know, edible brownies anymore. Mm -hmm. It's really diversified since the legalization into a whole bunch of different products that are all attractive to children. And we're seeing the statistics just go up and up in terms of the number of exposures. And so that's another big message that we've had to roll out this year is if you are going to be using recreational cannabis, then please treat it just like you would alcohol or a drug yeah. or a medication and keep it away from children. Okay. You know, kids and cannabis don't mix. In an adult, if they accidentally take too much, you know, it makes for a funny story because grandma feels like she's flying or she's buzzed or dizzy or mm -hmm. whatever. And it's pretty benign. In children, the story is quite different. Right. You know, a child can look like they're in a coma. They can look oh, like wow. they have meningitis or a bad infection. Then they have to go to the ER and get a CAT scan and a, a lumbar puncture yeah. and a lot of other procedures just to make sure that they don't have anything more serious going on when it's just really this cannabis that was causing the problem. Something and they so ate, yeah. the workups that, that are required for children getting into this are, are creating a real public health hazard. And I think that in the next couple of years, we're going to have to think seriously about, you know, how can we... We really curtail the accidental ingestion of cannabis in children here in California. That's true. I, you never think of those little things, but mm -hmm. you know, and that brings up a good point. Are you getting calls? Does the Poison Control Center get a lot of calls about food allergies? Like somebody that didn't know their their children were allergic to something and they have a bad reaction? Or? We do. Yep, we do. We get calls about food allergies as well as chemical allergies. Um, a lot of times, people will be sensitive to different chemicals that are used by like fumigators. Um, you know, if their apartment's being fumigated or if their neighbors are using chemicals um, and then the person walks in and didn't know that uh, there was a, a chemical that was being used, sometimes they can have a bad reaction to that. Uh, food poisoning as well is, is a call that we get quite commonly. So, um, you know, there's several things that we try to do. First, we take care of the patient individually, and that's the most important thing. That's our mission is to make sure that the patient's going to be safe, that they have the best information they need to make the decisions that are going to get them better. And then secondly, we try to uh, help the health of the community by reporting either unsafe practices or trends that we feel like are of public health import. And so all of this data that we're keeping, um, you know, it's kept anonymous, but we do report it to the agencies that we feel like if there's a pesticide that's causing these problems, then we'll actually contact the Department of Pesticide Regulation and they can actually start their investigation about what's causing all these problems. Same thing with food allergies. If there's a food product um, that's causing or triggering a lot of reactions, mm -hmm then, um, well, our data is automatically sent to the CDC. So the CDC can pick it up and, and do whatever they are going to do in terms of their investigation. But if we feel like it's it's not being picked up at a level that we think is important, we can actually go ahead and call either the Consumer Product Safety Commission or the FDA and contact them and say, look, we're seeing a signal in this noise. And it may not just be a co coincidence because a lot of people are getting sick right. from a specific brand or product. And you guys should look into it. And actually, we've done that. Um, I'll give you an example. There was a uh, there is a product actually called Oragel, which you've got an eight yeah. month old. 
they're teething. Mm -hmm. It's very tempting whenever they're having all this teething pain to use these Aura Gel products. Well, it turns out that the Aura Gel um, that you use in these teething gels contains a, a chemical called benzocaine. And benzocaine is not that safe. Uh, it can actually cause a complication called methemoglobinemia. And that means that your blood is not able to carry oxygen. That's what the blood is supposed to do. But if you have methemoglobinemia, then it can't carry the oxygen. And the person actually looks blue. So it actually can cause you to have that, you know, low oxygen state uh, just from these teething gels, which is, you know, unthinkable because it's they're crazy. over the counter. Yeah. They're given to children. Infants, yeah. And infants aren't even giving it, to, giving it to themselves. I mean, parents are giving it to them mm -hmm. in order to help them with their teething. And it turns out that this benzocaine is a big problem. So we actually did a study based on our poison control data, which looked at, you know, all of the benzocaine exposures for the last 20 years, which no single hospital or single group could really do. But we were able to aggregate all the data from all of our calls. And we created an article, which then got sent to the FDA. And the FDA looked at our article and a series of other articles. And then they actually came out and said, benzocaine has to go. And so they are actually, they this summer, banned benzocaine from these teething gels and told the manufacturers, you've got to pull benzocaine from these teething gels um, because we said so. And and that's basically uh, the result of the data from, that we get from our callers and the research that we did. Uh, and we thought, okay, there's a signal here. We decided to take it to the next level. And, you know, it was very fulfilling to see that, you know, the research that we did it was able to lead to something right. that, that helps the common good and helps the public's health. So that's just one example of the kinds of projects that we take on. Uh, if we feel like there's something that we can get involved in and make an intelligent statement about, mm -hmm. then we will go ahead and take the next step. In addition to taking care of the individual patient, we really try to take care of you know the public's health at, at a larger level too. I, I hear things like this and how advanced programs like the poison control get. And, I, and I, my first thing is, how did we ever survive as right. kids? I mean, how did we ever it, It's an interesting, know? it's really an interesting story. You know, um, poison control started in the 50s um, by pediatricians. Uh, in the Midwest, in Chicago, actually. So the first poison center was in Chicago. And it was in response to, you know, after World War II, there were just a lot of chemicals hitting the market and a lot of pharmaceuticals hitting the market. Mm -hmm. There was just this post-war boom. Uh, there were a lot more babies, and there were also a lot more products that the babies were exposed to. And no single person could keep track of, like, what's right. dangerous, what's not dangerous, what are the side effects. So uh, the pediatricians and the pharmacists in Chicago got together and said, you know what, let's create a hotline where people can call us. And that's pretty revolutionary when you think about it. Especially I mean, you're back like, then, absolutely. Wait a minute, you're, we're going to call you over the phone and mm -hmm. you're going to help us save lives? That, I mean, think about how what a revolutionary concept that must have been in the 50s. Right. And yet they did it. They pulled it off. And then it just took off. And this model has just taken off not only in the U.S., but all over the world. And one of the things that I do is actually I help to set up, you, you know, the capacity to, to build these poison control centers uh, in other parts of the world, which is really interesting as well. Because, you know, outside of the U.S., the problems in poisonings um, are even greater. Uh, because there's less regulation, the chemicals are right. more dangerous, there's less sort of emergency medicine infrastructure to help patients. And so the burden of poisoning and the deaths from poisoning are much, much greater outside of the U.S. And that's really where poison centers really have to be established next. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, is there anything else that you want to tell me about the poison control or is there anything that I'm missing? I mean, I, I'm completely fascinated that you know you guys do so much and and that you know the staffing of it is so um 
impressive as far as having, you know, you're actually calling a pharmacist or you're calling a nurse, or you're calling a physician. And I think that's fabulous. I mean, I would never have guessed that in a million years. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, you know, uh, people may not have ever used our hotline, but I encourage them to do it whenever they have a question uh, about pharmaceuticals, whether it's related to a poisoning or an adverse effect, like you said, an allergic reaction. Um, a lot of our calls are about double doses. So that's something that, you know, people may forget that they took one right. dose of their medication mm-hmm. and then an hour later they take it and then they, they remember like, oh no, I already took my medication for the day. Now I have a double dose. What do I do? So people call us about issues that, you know, can range from very minor or even just informational to very serious. And the person has a life-threatening issue and then we take care of that as well. So we, we run the gamut of different patient experiences and really any chemical is really under our purview and we'll try to help people as best as we can um, whenever um, they call us. Um, so, you know, I encourage people to get to know us, um, call us using our hotline. Um, we also have a presence, not a huge one, but a presence on social media. So they can find us on places like Twitter and Facebook if they just search for the California Poison Control System. And then they can actually text, um, uh, get text messages to their phone if they text 69866 um, and text the word TIPS, T-I-P-S. Or if they want Spanish, they can text the word PUNTOS, P-U-N-T-O-S. And that will actually send messages to their phone uh, every week. Like once oh. a week, they'll get a little special message. Um, so I, cool. I set that up on my phone because I want to teach myself medical Spanish. So I get the tip in English and in Spanish. And then I know exactly what it's saying. So um, that's something that, you know, if parents are interested or if providers are interested in getting, you know, extra little hints and reminders. And we try to make it seasonal. Like we just got through Halloween. So right. we had a lot of Halloween. Halloween messaging yeah. and now we're getting ready for the holidays. So we'll do a lot of messaging about food safety around Thanksgiving, as well as um, ornamental and toy safety around Christmas time. So just to try to keep people, you know, abreast of topical things that will impact their 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 everyday lives um, and the ways that poison control might be able to help them uh, with whatever they're doing. What's the number? What's the text message again? Text message is TIPS, T-I-P-S. To what number? 69866. And what is the the poison control number again? Oh, 1-800-222-1222. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And I just sent my text and it okay. just says, please reply with your zip code. Okay. Very. F- this is there very you go. cool. And then you'll be able to get uh, free messages sent to your phone. Yep. And it says they'll start sending me weekly messages. Very okay, nice. Great. Well, thank you, Doctor. I appreciate You're you coming welcome. back. Thank and, you so much. And hopefully we'll have you back again. Okay, We might thanks. be running out of topics, but we'll, we'll come up with some more for sure. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm.